Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, August the 27th, 2017. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Of course, check out our partner, MetsmerizedOnline.com. You can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Leave me a review on, on iTunes. It's greatly appreciated. Hope everybody's having a great Sunday, uh, coming to you a little bit before the Mets and Nationals uh, doubleheader. In, in just a couple of minutes, I'll have Michael Mayer, the executive editor of MetsMorizedOnline.com, frequent contributor to the show. He'll be joining me, and we're going to start to put together the 2018 roster. We're not playing out the string here at the Talking Mets podcast. We're going to start to construct the Mets 2018 roster. I think we did a little bit of that uh, during the call-in show a week ago, hearing your thoughts and some of the things that you guys are looking to see the Mets do. I know a big theme was money and spending, but what I really want to get from Michael is, uh, you know, is there is there a foundation to get this team back into contention? And I, I believe there is rather quickly. I want to get his thoughts on the trades and some of the, 
young power arms that have come the Mets' way, a couple that we'll probably see uh, by Friday, uh, Rom and uh, Callahan, I think we'll probably see coming out of the bullpen. Uh, we'll get a feel of, you know, is Kevin Plowicki an answer at catcher? Uh, could Gavin Sashini maybe uh, have a position in, in the middle infield? You know, you have Dominic Smith and Ahmed Rosario. The outfield they know is a little muddy right now with uh, how long Conforto might be out after his injury. So uh, we have a lot to talk about over there. Of course, the big news this week, John Heyman, uh, FanRag Sports, says that Terry Collins won't be back. And that's um, obviously music to my ears. And we'll get more into that. I'm not going to make really – there's not really much sense in going back and looking back at Terry's tenure here. But a lot of people always ask me and say, hey, hey, what are you looking for in a manager? Who's the name that you're looking for in a manager? And I'll say this, you know, I'm not the one doing the interviewing, and there really isn't a clear-cut individual that I look at and say, well, that's the guy I'd like to see manage the Mets. See, back in the day, I remember when Bobby Valentine was let go, and right before they hired Art Howe, there was a lot of talk about Lou Pinella taking over. I think at that time, Lou was one of those guys that could come in and, and turn a program, a franchise around. He did it with Cincinnati. He did it with Seattle. And had immediate success, and I thought he would be the right manager to take the baton from Bobby and, and, and take a veteran team and push them to the next level. That's not necessarily what you have here. And I've heard names like Ron Gardenhire and Joe McEwing and Alex Cora. You hear about Sandy Alderson favorites like Dick Scott and, and Bob Guerin. And I think Dick Scott being on this staff, it would be such a big mistake to put anybody on this staff in charge. What I do want to see is this. I mean, first, I always say, and I've said this a, a lot, and I'll say it again, whoever gets hired has to be able to manage a bullpen. That is imperative in today's ballgame. And it's not just about looking at numbers and lefty-ready matchups, although that's something that a very, a very basic component that I think Collins has struggled with. It's having a feel of what situations and positions you can put your relievers in which will make them successful. Just because they have a certain percentage of success against the lefty or a righty doesn't mean they're a high leverage reliever uh, Hansel Robles is a great great example of that you need to have someone who has a feel for the bullpen and a feel for the game especially in game and I, I don't know if Terry has that I don't know if you could interview for that I think it's a maybe it's even a gut when you go through the hiring process but that's the first thing historically if they've been in the minor leagues if they've been uh, a big league uh, uh, bench coach can 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 you get a feel of what their philosophy is on bullpen management? Uh, the second thing, and Terry did this very well, which is manage the New York media. That is not uh, always about uh, you know uh, you know keeping them at bay. I think it's getting them to feel that you're helping make their job easier. And I think Terry did that, getting them to be on your side, which is an odd thing these days because. There seems to be winners and losers they pick almost at random. It's not just about reporting the news anymore. It's about creating these narratives. And Terry's done a great job. Give him credit with uh, actually getting the beat to pretty much leave him alone for about seven years. Unheard of in this town. Uh, but you need someone who's going to be able to handle the increased scrutiny, handle what could be the tabloid nature of this town, and, uh, and not add to it. So, I mean, that, that's, that's very important. You need someone who could manage the clubhouse, and that's something that Terry has been given credit for. I'm not sure the way he's gone about it is, has been the most effective, especially over the last two years. 
I think this team lacks energy. I think this team has become complacent. I think Terry has given the players uh, a little bit, bit too much latitude. I mean, it's always, always been, well, it's their clubhouse, it's their team. And that's true. But you need someone who's going to hold these guys accountable and push them. And I don't know if this group, since they went to the World Series on that magic carpet ride and had those good 12 weeks in 2015, ever leveraged that and pushed themselves to have a championship mindset. I think they were all too comfortable in, well, we're a second-half team, and, and hanging around and waiting for things to happen. And they happened again last year when they had a, the run in late August into September to get the second wild-card spot, or actually get into the wild-card. They were the first wild-card they hosted the game. That's not necessarily the kind of manager. I, I'd like The guy I would love would be Buck Showalter, but obviously he's got a job, and, and I don't think that that's the direction the Mets would go, is, is grabbing someone from another organization. But somebody like that, someone who's detailed, someone who has um, you know, a, a, an ability. I know that there's some controversy how he manages the bullpen, but I've always felt Buck knows how to, how to manage a bullpen pretty well. He, he, he uses data. He holds the players accountable. He pushes them. When he came over and took over the Orioles, who were on a historic losing run at one point in uh, in that run, I think it was 2010, he took over midseason. They were they were looking at the 62 Mets, maybe uh, they and both the Washington Nationals were looking at being in the same category in terms of wins and losses as the 62 Mets. So he came in, turned things around immediately, and, and I'm not saying that the Mets have that dire situation, but I think they have young players that are going to need to be pushed. They're going to need to be disciplined. I think they have a veteran group that's way too comfortable being a quote-unquote second-half team. And uh, I think this team needs a culture change, and I think that's the most important thing. Not not uh, you know just that without the other components. I think you need to have everything together. But I think that's the most important thing. And I think it's going to be tough because these, this beat likes Terry. They've given him comfort. They've given him a pass. They, they've protected him. And uh, who knows how easy it will be for the next person that comes in here to uh, get that same support because he, they're not coming in if they're not a established name with any kind of resume. Had, let's face it, even though he really is, he'll walk out of here with 16 to 20 good weeks in seven years, which is pretty bad when you think about it. Um, you know, the, 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 there is a certain amount of respect that the beat has given Terry Collins that the new person coming in, whoever they will be, will not have. But There'll be more time to talk about that. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, Michael Mayer, the executive editor of MetsmerizedOnline.com, will sit with me and we'll start to deconstruct this roster and start to build the 2018 roster. And forget about free agency. Forget about all that. We'll, we'll touch that slightly. What is currently here in the minor leagues, on the roster, on the 40-man, or who can be put on the 40-man that could help this team go into 2018 and reestablish them as a playoff contender. We'll be back with Michael Mayer of Metsmerized Online right after this. Hey Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. 
Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com and get Metsmerized today. Joining me, the executive editor, editor over at MetsmerizedOnline.com, Mets Miners as well, Michael Mayer. It's uh, almost September, less than a week away, and that means the end of the minor league season. That may- means September call-ups. The Mets have actually already started some of their quote-unquote September call-ups. And let's get Michael's take on everything that's going on and some of the trades that have been made and, and some of the names that you probably will all be looking to and and also towards 2018. Michael, uh, welcome back to the program. Um, wish we'd be talking more about a pennant race, but hey, we keep going to you. You're the guy we go to when we talk about uh, the future and the prospects, and certainly that's going to be the next five weeks with uh, Mets baseball. Yeah, definitely. I mean, some. I mean, it is, like you said, we'd rather be talking about a pennant race or whatever, but now it's kind of t- time to shift gears and see what, see what some of these guys have that can possibly help uh, on the team next year. Is Matt Harvey done? Like, I know that that's kind of a strong statement. I know that Matt Harvey said that he feels good. Uh, you know, and then he says he's at 75% in the next breath. Uh, I think uh, the B-Mets were actually up by you uh, last night, and uh, Matt Harvey pitched, and I think he says he's ready to go in a big league game. Uh, from the game reports, it sounds like he got hit hard. I'm not just even looking at the numbers. It sounds like there was a couple of balls hit off the wall. The velocity has uh, the last couple of starts been between low, you know, you know, high 80s, low 90s. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, what are we to think about Matt Harvey, or are we just uh, going to see a Matt Harvey rounding into form and uh, pitching his way into 2018? Well, haven't seen his last couple outings. It just it's it's tough to imagine him right now being successful in the big leagues. Um, scouts actually did have him at 94, 95 on some stuff yesterday, but he's still, I mean, he's still living in the low 90s. Um, doesn't have command of his off-speed stuff or his fastball, for that matter. And right now, he just I think I think they would be rushing him back. I think what they should do is just have him pitch as many rehab. Um, starts as he can in the minors right now and not rush him. I mean, there's a, there's obviously no point in the season to try to rush him back here to for a playoff push or whatever. I'm just I'm very skeptical of him getting major league hitters out right now, so he shouldn't be facing them. I mean, is my basic thought on that. But long term, it it's tougher to know. I mean, it's still some. Some pitchers take a while to get back to somewhat normal when you're talking with the TOS surgery. So I I wouldn't rush him back and hopefully hopefully regain some more of that arm strength this offseason and uh, see, see what he looks like when he comes in the camp next year to see if he's back at at least 96, 97. I mean, he, he can pitch like that with his off-speed stuff, assuming, again, he gets some command back. I'm just... I, I would not. I don't think his next start should be in the major leagues. Uh, I, I agree, and and you got to wonder. I mean, what 
with all the pitchers, with uh, you know the injuries, and and I know a lot of this stuff could sometimes be freakish. Uh, you look at Mats and what have you. Uh, do the Mets have a program to get these guys healthy and back to the major leagues? That's a question. I don't know if I have the answer. You probably don't either. But I mean, what is your feeling? I mean, what do scouts say? Do you do you think the Mets have culpability here, and how they they even handled the Harvey, who at one point, and I remember talking about this on a program in the spring. I said, hey, if it starts out that he can't start the season, you know, let him start in the minor leagues. I know the Mets were, were designed to compete for a title. But in doing that, you necessarily don't want to just have everybody on the opening day roster. You want to have them at the key points of the season. So, you know, I guess the question is, even with the Wheeler, uh, with the Mets, did they manage, did they manage these guys correctly? Because I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a fair question at the very least. I think it's a fair question, too, and – some things I've heard from scouts and other people in the business is that uh, the Mets have been kind of pushing these guys faster than they thought they should be. And uh, it's tough to argue that point, given, um, given the results on a lot of these guys. And I think they're doing it with another guy tonight. I just don't understand why in this type of season they're pushing Lugo to pitch tonight. It just – it really boggles my mind with the impingement and we also know about the partial tear that he has too so I just I don't understand pushing Lugo to make a start tonight in a lost season it just it does not make any sense to me I mean it wouldn't it might not make much sense even in a playoff push because you're talking about this kid's arm long term and possible surgery so it to me this is another mistake that the Mets are making with another uh, very valuable arm. So I just, yeah, I, it's, it's tough to kind of rationalize some of the things they've done this year with the pitching and how they've pushed some guys when it's pretty clear that there's a physical issue. Now, Lugo's interesting because I start to look at the 2018 rotation if the Mets had performed like, and I don't think it would have been an in, unrealistic performance because you had a couple of years worth of sample statistics here, like the pitching had performed in 2015 and 2016 with the offense that they had pre-trades, this is a pretty good team. Is it a championship team? We could debate that in a short series. Uh, knowing that now, okay, the season's out of reach and, and whatever, you've got these starters for next year. I think it's safe to say that the Grom has shown he's healthy, he's your ace. You would think, even if he doesn't make a, an appearance the rest of this year, that Syndergaard will be back, and his injury, although serious, is not as serious as the others. After that, and this is where Lugo comes into play, is Lugo a Tommy John candidate? Because, you know, Matt, you would think, could come back, although he's a risky proposition. I don't know. I mean, right now, I don't count on Harvey for anything. I've never been a big Wheeler guy. We don't know what the hell uh, is going on with Gazelman. Haven't been impressed with Flexen. Uh, you know, uh, maybe a Marcus Molina gets a start at some point before the year's out. I know you tweeted about that. There's veterans you could put in. I think you need to do better than a Tommy Malone-type veteran. Uh, you don't want to go into next year with, uh, you know, maybe uh, three question marks in a starting rotation with guys who haven't proven they could pitch effectively or stay healthy. Uh, it's a very interesting dynamic because I thought Lugo would have been an important piece for that. He was showing so much promise in the WBC. He's not an ace, but
but he's a really solid 3-4. And if he needs surgery, it's almost like the whole Tanaka thing. Can he pitch through this thing? Um, or is it just better get the Tommy John, Chuck 2018, and maybe you have a pitcher that could help you uh, in the middle to back into the rotation after that? Yeah, with Lugo, it's tough to know if this is – I mean, he's had has the shoulder impingement too, so tough to know how much of an issue that became because of the UCL issue. Um, I mean, like you said with Tanaka, certain pitchers can pitch through it if it's a partial – so, uh, but uh, Wainwright, pretty, I think Wainwright yep, and Wainwright Halliday too. pitched through as well. But it, I mean, the thing that we always talked about last year with Lugo was his spin rate. That's all that got talked about. I mean, it was a big thing not just between Mets fans, it was baseball fans because he had a crazy high spin rate on his curveball. That's not been here, there this year. So I mean, if he can't get the spin on his curveball because of the issue in his arm that to me kind of leads me to believe that he does need the surgery because that that's he's not a, he's not a major league starter unless he has that plus curveball what do you think about gazelman what's that i mean i mean do we just maybe overrate him uh last year uh he's been the perplexing one uh clearly there may be some discontent with him in the organization but here's a guy that uh again and i thought he he was a better proposition than Lugo because he threw harder. Uh, he seemed to have moxie. I mean, here's a guy that helped pitch them with four very important victories down the stretch to help get them into the playoffs. What are your thoughts? What I mean, just a bad year, sophomore slump, uh, part of the whole of the Mets really. Is Dan Worthen really the guy to manage this pitching staff? Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, with Gazelma, I think to me he's looked He's looked better since he came off the DL. I know um, he only went four yesterday, but he had a key error on himself that kind of cost him that big inning. Um, to me, he's looked, he's kept the ball down better, and his changeups looked better since he came off the DL. I mean, this is a another guy that had was having injury issues, and I also think part of this, part of his issue at the start of the year is he's an extreme ground ball pitcher. He has been since he came to the major leagues, and the Mets had one of the worst defensive infields in baseball earlier this year when they had Cabrera at short, Reyes at third, and Walker at second. I, there's absolutely no range on any of those guys. So when you're a ground ball pitcher, I mean, you can say what you want, but that's going to come into your mind at some point that my strength is getting the ball on the ground, but how good is that when I have guys that can't get to the ball? So... I think that was part of the issue, personally, with Gazelman. And to me, he did look better. He has looked better once he came back. Um, it's interesting to see how the whole front office issue, well, his issue with Sandy kind of plays out. Um, so I think I think he's a guy that is going to bounce back next year and uh, pitch well, whether it's his starter, long man, the Logan Brett role, or... I mean, or if you want to put him in the bullpen, um, I think I think he's a guy that is going to pitch better next year. I would I would still count on him more than Lugo next year because we just don't know what's going on with Lugo's arm. Yeah, it's it's very true. And and look, you have to figure they're going to have to bring a veteran arm in uh, of some capacity. I'm not saying an ace or or a, or a six or seven year deal guy. 
I mean, Flexen, you know, has got a little moxie, but, you know, he hasn't been all that impressive. You have so many question marks on the staff, and this is the one area this team, the last couple of off-seasons, you really didn't worry about. You're like, all right, they've got their starters, and, and even if there's maybe some health concerns, they'll have enough of a, of a, of a depth situation where they can make, make their way through it. Then they go out and spend money on the rest of the roster. Here, I don't even know if they could spend big money on the, on the pitching because you have guys, unless they're going to just start to you know, sell low, purge, you have guys that have potential. You have arms that clearly other teams would want. The problem is, is that after one, two, you have question marks three through seven, eight, um, and it, it, it's a tough. They're in a tough spot. They almost have to go back into next year, maybe with one veteran arm, a Jason Vargas. You know, if Dickey becomes available, guys like that. I'm not saying those are the exact names. At least be able to anchor a three or four spot in the rotation, and then. You hope that Syndergaard and, and DeGrom are who they are, and then you got to figure out the other two spots. Then at least that's a better plan. Right now, it's almost like you got three, four question marks, uh, if not more. It's, it's a very tough spot they're in. Yeah, and like you said, um, ex-Met Jason Vargas is going to be a free agent. Um, Chris Tillman from the Orioles is another one. Jeremy Hellickson, if you want to spend some more money, guys like Lance Lynn, Hugh Darvish. I mean, there there is some options that could be helpful this year in the free agent market if they decide to go that route. Alex Cobb is another one. Um, so I mean, you have to they have to sign at least one veteran guy, even if they're not going big money. You could get someone like a J- Jason Vargas cheaper on a shorter deal, or a Doug Fister who they could have signed this year, and then um, Scott Feldman, someone like that an older vet that you can kind of plug into the fifth spot and just know at least we're going to get 200 innings out of this guy. Um, Cause that, that's something that they needed badly this year and just, just didn't have it. They so, missed Cologne. I mean, it's crazy. They missed Cologne and the Cologne that's pitching in Minnesota. I don't know if it's because he wasn't into the whole Atlanta experience that so that could be in, in play. I don't know if that's the guy you want to go back for, but they really missed that kind of guy. It's almost like they had a below-league average pitcher on most days uh, against good uh, uh, offenses, but it almost was the uh, the orbit everybody was around because you knew that you'd get innings the days that he was out there. Yeah, and that I mean, that's, that's exactly what they need going into next year. They need um, someone that they can count on that's just going to go out there and pitch you six solid innings, six, seven solid innings every day. Um, whether he's a shutdown guy, I mean, that would obviously a bon- be a bonus if you're talking someone like Lynn or Darvish, but I I don't see them spending for a guy like that. But, I mean, there's like we said, there's other options out there that can go out and eat up those innings that you need, and it's kind of – kind of eases your mind, well, if we got that guy at the back end, then hopefully we can get a 3-4 starter out of the combination of Wheeler, Harvey, Matz, Gazelman, Lugo. I mean, it makes, you, it makes you feel better about having those combination of guys that you only need to get two starters out of them or two starters to start the year out of that group. I have with me Michael Mayer. You guys know him over at MetsmerizedOnline.com, executive editor over there, and does great work following the minors, and uh, you know that's going to be the the conversation as the Mets start to look at options at how they're going to build the 2018 roster and play out the string. And 
We're not playing out the string here at uh, the Talking Mets podcast. We're trying to figure things out right away. I mean, 2018 has started. The bullpen, Michael, if there's one positive from all these deals, despite the fact, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the media narratives being thrown out there, uh, I thought for what was out there, uh, the return, although not exciting, the Mets got some interesting power arms, especially in the Addison Reed deal. It looks like the Curtis Granderson deal, yeah, they had to pay a good portion of the salary, but they got an interesting arm in Jacob Rahm. Uh, who has done some nice things in Vegas. What are your thoughts on the return? And this will tie into what we'll talk about next here with the bullpen. All these power arms they brought on uh, from these trades. And and who, I mean, I'm assuming Rom will see in September. Maybe Callahan, who they got from Boston. Who are options for the short term and into 2018 that you really think can make an impact right away? Yeah, I, I mean, some of a couple of the trades... Obviously, the Bruce one is the one most people point out is a little light, but I still like um, the idea that Alderson had in getting power arms. And, I mean, the bullpen obviously earlier this year was a huge issue and big reason why they are, the Mets are where they are right now. And there wasn't a ton of upside arms, I mean, from A above. But now, now he went out and got six arms, and uh, I think we see at least two of them this year. Like you said, um, the one we got in the Curtis Granderson deal, uh, Jacob Rahm, I would be surprised if we don't see him next week because he's already on the 40-man roster. He's pitched four perfect innings for Vegas so far with seven strikeouts. Uh, We're talking about a big fastball guy. I mean, he's 97 to 100. And it's a heavy fastball, too, at that. Um, so I think we definitely see him next week, or September 1st. No, this week. Yeah, next week. I'm getting confused between the days. But, yeah, yeah I definitely Friday. think yeah, we, Friday, it's amazing. It's already yeah. September. <laughs> but, yeah, I think we see him September 1st. Uh, the big question with him is really, is his slider going to be good enough to be – the difference between being a six-inning guy who kind of mops up or seventh, eighth, even ninth-inning guy. I mean, he has that type of fastball, not just the velocity, but um, uh, comes on you quick, heavy. It's tough to tough to lift. Um, and he's not walking anyone this year either. So that's a he's going to be interesting to watch, and I think the Mets will give him a, a chance this September to kind of show what he's got. Um, the other one, like you mentioned, is Jamie Callahan, the right-hander they got from the Red Sox. Um, pitched another scoreless inning last night for Vegas. He's got a two ERA in ten innings. Um, he's pitched well. He's another. He's not as. He doesn't throw as hard, but he's he's 94-98. He's got a splitter that actually flashed at 90 um, for Vegas already. That that's more in the 86 to 88 range, but he's got a splitter too, and he throws a slider. I think this is a guy, um, you definitely see him in September. I would I would hope so. He has to be added to the 40-man um, this offseason to protect him from the Rule 5, so I definitely think we see him this year too. Um, the third guy that would be possible is Drew Smith, who they got in the Lucas Duda trade. Um, he's another, all these guys have a good fastball. He's another guy who's, Fastball 95-97, but he, I think he probably has the best secondary pitch of all the guys they got. 
Uh, he's got a good break, uh, good curveball that I like. Um, last week he faced eight batters, gave up a ground ball out to the first one, and then struck out seven consecutive. So the stuff is definitely there, um, and I think he he doesn't need to be added to the forty this off season. So I mean, you might not see him in September, but he's whether we see him in September or not, like we're getting ready to talk about, he's a guy that. Uh, could work his way into an option to start on the bullpen next year, and then I I wouldn't I can't talk about the guys who traded without without getting excited about Gershon Batista. Um, he's another guy that got in the Reed trade, and there was a lot of uh, John Heyman even tweeted it out, and there was a couple other people that tweeted it out after the trade that scouts really like this guy. I mean, it's tough not to like a young kid who's throwing 98 to 101. And walks were a serious issue with him with the Red Sox, and now he's only walked two guys in ten innings with the Mets. So it's he, uh, to me, he's the biggest wild card of the group that they got. He used to be a starter. Uh, mechanics didn't hold up as a starter. There's still some issues with the mechanics that uh, need to be fixed to help repeat that delivery, and uh, so that he does have the control and command that allows him to be. Uh, um, high-end reliever, but that that's the ceiling with him. With his fastball and his slider, I mean, he's throwing his slider in the low 90s, too. So I, he is a guy that I'm keeping an eye on and talk to numerous people that have seen him in St. Lucie and are blown away by not just, again, with the velocity of his fastball, but just uh, two people I talked to called it electric. I mean, it's it's fun to think about when you – could have a guy like that at the back end of the bullpen. Absolutely. I have Michael Mayer with me, executive editor over at MetsMorizedOnline.com, especially with some of the arms they gave up in the Ramos trade. Obviously, Kiel Morris you might see up in uh, in Atlanta. Uh, similar type of power arms. So that, that really replenishes the system. I'm not as down or as concerned about building a bullpen in 2018. Now, I know that people are probably laughing because Sandy Alderson has never really been good at that. Um you know, in general, and, and losing Addison Reed, and I'm not crazy about uh, AJ Ramos, but he's good. I mean, he's a little bit of a high wire act. We saw that on Friday night. Uh, you know, I think Familia will rebound and 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 get back to being who he was. He's not necessarily locked down either. You're going to have Jerry, at least John Heyman says they're going to bring Jerry Blevins back on his option. Um, you know, the name that uh, is interesting that we've seen so far. There's two names. You know, you talked about him earlier this year is Paul Seawold has had a nice season to me the numbers at least the splits indicate he's more of a situational guy against righties maybe it's too soon but the guy that I didn't expect much out of is Jason Bradford and yes he's been much better against righties than lefties but looking at his splits again 11 12 innings small sample size he's been a little bit more of a crossover and especially recently has been impressive what do you think about the guys they've brought up and started to plug in, guys like Bradford and Seawald, and are you as bullish on, on these two guys at least helping the bullpen in 2018 as I am starting to be after watching them over an extended period of time? Yeah, I mean, as you know, I've been talking up Seawald for about a probably a good year now. So it, Could have lost no, them in the Rule 5. Could have yeah. lost them. Amazing. They could have lost them for nothing. Yep, yeah, and I'm... I was still shocked that they didn't. Um, bet you other teams are kicking themselves right now. But yeah, I think I think 
he's a virtual lock at this point. I mean, he's pitched a ton of innings in their bullpen, and he's looked good. Like you said, he is he has been susceptible to um, lefties a little bit this year. I think um, maybe working in that changeup more against lefties will kind of help him out um, next year. But I think I think he's a lock, and if Bradford keeps pitching this way, he's going to be a lock. Um, he kind of he did he. A couple of years ago, there was talk of him having a chance of making the bullpen um, in spring training, pitch some in major league spring training. Um, he kind of, two years ago, he kind of uh, last year in Vegas, he he was kind of rattling around in Vegas and kind of just staying there. And I think he kind of overthought some things and tried to get away from his sinker and had a really bad year. Um, this year, him and Viola worked, and he got back working on his. Uh, sinker and using that more than his four-seamer, and I think that's the big key for him, and as we've seen it in the big leagues, that's key for him is that sinker, because it's effective against lefties and righties, like you were talking about, and and it's been it's been a little while since the Mets have had that type of right-hander that can get you that double play ball. Um, that's a, I mean, not everyone in the bullpen is going to throw 98-99 and have a hard slider. It's I think it's good to have that change of pace guy like Bradford that can come into a big spot and uh, get you that ground ball to turn two if you need it. And he's looked good. If he keeps that fastball the way it is and his his sliders looked pretty good too, I mean – you, you, we can knock more than all we want, but the one thing he can do to guys is improve that slider. So he's Bradford's looked good, and he's definitely made himself an option for the bullpen next year. That between Seawald pitching well, um, him pitching well, and some of the arms they got in these trades, it's it's looking better for it's looking good for next year. Honestly, I, I'm not trying to drink the Kool Aid or whatever, but the the bullpen, they obviously still need to add, I would still add an arm that can pitch in the seventh inning, someone like a Jake McGee. But uh, it's they've definitely got some options depth-wise towards the bullpen next year. What about Kevin McGowan? What do you think about Kevin McGowan? I think, I think, he's, I think he's more of your guy we'll see kind of up and down. Um, his... His fastball to me isn't where it used to be. I think last um, last year I I had him throwing harder than he is this year, which I he's like ninety one to ninety four now, and I had him more at like ninety five, ninety six once in a while, which doesn't seem like a big difference, but once you get up to the major leagues, it is. Um, I still like his change up, and that's a good secondary pitch. So I think. I think he's a guy you have as an option, but I think he's going to kind of get passed over by um, Jamie Callahan, uh, Jacob Brame, like we talked about earlier, and two other guys I haven't mentioned yet, but I might as well now, since we're going to be talking about the 2018 bullpen, is uh, Tyler Bachelor, hard thrower who's in Binghamton now. I mean, he's got 79 strikeouts in 47 innings this year. He has the highest, um, third highest strikeout percentage in the minor leagues. Um, he's pitching in Binghamton that hasn't allowed a run for them yet. Um, he's an arm that he has to be added to the 40-man this offseason, too. Um, he's he's another power arm. He's a 96 to 99, and he's got a good breaking ball, too. So I think he's a guy that kind of jumps ahead of McGowan stuff-wise. 
And then you have O'Donnell Shusetta, who's in Binghamton now too. He started out in Columbia this year, and he had a scoreless, he had a streak where he didn't allow an earned run in 36 innings earlier this year. Again, another, he's 95 to 99 with his fastball, but his best secondary pitches, he's got a nasty changeup. Very, very good changeup. And he's thrown a slider a little more this year. He's a failed starter. He was a starter before this year for the most part, and he's excelled since they put him in the bullpen. And he's a guy that has to get added to the 40, which is the 40 man's going to get interesting this offseason with all these uh, bullpen arms, but that's what they need. It's, I mean, if they can shorten shorten the game and have a uh, stacked bullpen, that kind of helps alleviate some of the question marks you have with the starters. Yep, and I don't know if the starters can go deep. I don't think they, they've ever shown, um, other than maybe DeGrom and to a certain degree, um, uh, Syndergaard and, and the new version of Harvey, forget about it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we've talked so much about the pitching, we'd forget about the offense now. What's interesting to me is staying on the whole minor league theme, and you've been talking about him for weeks. You know, we're talking about Dominic Smith at the big league level, and it's too soon to really get a feel of how ready he is. He's looked good. He hasn't looked not so good. Um, but Peter Alonzo in A, you know, had a really rough start to the year. You've talked about him for a long time, even before the season started. You might have actually a couple options, right, for first base next year. I don't know if Alonzo would start the season in the big leagues, but it's interesting. Uh, you know, can you have somewhat of a platoon or maybe um, uh, a, a, a race of which prospect turns out? You might have an Ike Davis-Lucas Duda part two where everyone talked about Ike. It was Lucas who took the job. Maybe you have another situation like that here with first base with Dominic Smith and Alonzo. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what some Mets fans are whispering now. They're starting to call it the Davis Duda um, number two here because Smith, I mean, Smith, he's been okay. He's shown some power, which we want. That's one of the question marks. He's shown some power. Um, interestingly, he's had a couple of misplays at first, where it's kind of a strong suit, but. Uh, yeah, Alonzo's in double A now where kind of thought he'd be about a month ago once Smith was brought up. Um, and he's 6 for 15 so so far in double A. He's he's doing what he's done his entire minor league career. I mean, he has a 900 OPS in the minors. I mean, he's doing exactly what people thought he was going to do. He had 16 home runs in the Florida State League when he left. That was tied to the league, uh, the lead league, I mean. That is not a league where people put up big power numbers, and he did. It's he's he's one of the better, not just in the Mets system. He's one of the better power hitters in the entire minor leagues. When you're talking about Alonzo, his his power is no joke. So he's he's working his way into the conversation, being in Double A right now. He hits his way the way he's been all year to finish in Double A. Then. You can realistically start him in AAA next year if they choose to do so, and then he's right there. He's he's right there as an option if Smith does crumble or Smith doesn't do as well as some of us think. So the big knock on Alonso really right now is his defense. He's he's not he's not a good defender at first base. Um, people talk about Smith being out of shape and stuff like that. There was some scouts that were really down on Alonzo 
earlier this year because of the shape that he kind of came into and was playing at at first base. So I think if if he kind of he kind of cleans that up, and from what I talked to someone who saw him in St. Lucie the last week, he did he looked much better um, physical wise, and consequently he looked better he looked better at first base too. So um, he's never going to be a plus guy at first base with the glove, but if he if he keeps mashing the way he has, you can you can live with an average or slightly below average glove at first base if he's gonna if he's gonna hit forty doubles and thirty five home runs and not strike out a ton, which he hasn't. He has not been striking out at a high rate in the minor leagues. I mean, this year he's eighty six games and he's struck out sixty five times, which I mean that's not a that's not bad at all when you're talking for an uh, extreme power hitter. Absolutely, and uh, again, I have Michael Mayer with us. We're going through kind of starting to look at the 2018 Mets. Uh, yeah, I'll feel to be interesting. You know, I'm hoping that Conforto, I think obviously it's a serious injury, but I'm hoping that even with surgery that, that he wouldn't miss much time. And the fact that it's his non-throwing arm gives me some hope that it won't be the biggest issue. You know, capsule tear is very serious. He's not pitching, though. I'm curious your thoughts on that. And then the second piece, if he is out a short span of time, you have Cespedes. I don't know how they're going to go with center field. The thought was maybe that Conforto could play center field. Would they consider maybe trying to go after and re-sign a Jay Bruce? Sandy's always liked him. Uh, he's continued to play well. I don't know if this is just a career year. Although going back to Ohio and Cleveland, that, that clearly – you know, puts the Mets if they had, you know, and I know why they didn't keep him, but that puts the Mets at a distant second, I would think, uh, if he had preferences of where to go. Uh, you have Travis Tyrone that's trying to, uh, you know, make an impression here. Nimmo, uh, Lagaris, I see a lot of backups right now that are playing full time, even in Nimmo and Lagaris. Uh, the outfield is a big part because, again, if any of these guys, I mean, the bullpen and the starting rotation, we know they're going to have to probably really go and work with a lot of what they have, both in the minors of what we talked about and the big leagues. I don't think they could do that on offense, and the Conforto thing is, is, a, is a tricky spot that they've now been put in. So even if they like Nimmo, they like Tyrone or some of these guys, uh, they almost have to go out and get an impact bat uh, in the outfield. Give me your thoughts. That's a lot there, but give me your thoughts on all that. Yeah, I think we still, I mean, we still have to kind of see how the, Conforto thing plays out um, once his doctor. Any tells him thoughts how, from people what they think? I mean, any thoughts about? It? I mean, it's such an odd injury and how it happened and, and where it'll take him. Yeah, I think it being his non-throwing shoulder is a big plus for the Mets in a really bad situation. I think that's a big plus for him. Um, and most of I know there's been some things about six to twelve months. Most of what I've heard and talked to people is six to eight months. Um, they've seen people come work their way back in six, and there's been more that have been closer to the eight-month range. Um, to me, either way, I mean, he's going to see a doctor tomorrow and say they say he needs surgery, so he has surgery September 1st. So then, I mean, six months, six months we're looking at, um, we're looking at April next year, so then, I mean, that's just him getting back and swings in. So then I'm March, I'm sorry, we're going to March, and then you're working into April. So you're looking at spring training. So like you're talking about, I think 
the Met, the Mets already had an outfield question whether you had, were going to play Conforto in center and get someone to right or put Conforto in right and try to get a center. Um, this kind of creates, even if he is back and starting to play at in May, kind of the thing I've heard too is that it, even if he's playing, it's still going to take him a little while to kind of get that swing back to where it was before. So I think you you can't the Mets can't go into 2018 with that as the serious question mark where he might not play, and then you have right now you would have Lagares in center and Nimmo in right, which is less than ideal. Situation not enough. O- not enough offense. Exactly. Not enough offense. In in a perfect well, not in a perfect world, but I think in the Mets' perfect world, they would have liked to seen Lagares and Nimmo be a platoon in center, and then you have Conforto in his offense in right. So now with that question, do you really think Nimmo is a center fielder? Though I remember a lot of people saying he, he's better this year in the outfield, but I've heard that that the corners are a better option for him though. It's a oh, big drop off, uh, Lagares and Nimmo. Oh yeah, and he's he's certainly better in the corners. Um, to me personally. Um, he's looked better in center this year. I think the last couple of years, he's kind of been out there. He's had a couple of knee issues, a hamstring issue. I think, for me, he's looked better in center this year. I think he can give you a Curtis Granderson, if you will, type center field where he doesn't have a ton of range, but he's he's going he's gonna to play a slightly below average center. So, I mean, if if he's getting on base at a high clip, I think you can live with it a little bit. Um, in a platoon style, I, I still don't think, I don't think because Lagares hits lefties well and he's got the plus defense. Um, but getting back, I think, I think the Conforto thing kind of opens you up to, well, maybe we shift more into trying to find, you can find a right fielder and then if Conforto comes back, put him in center, as you talked about with Bruce. Maybe Bruce becomes a more realistic yeah, option no. now. So. I think. Yeah, no, that's that's the interesting thing. They were looking to give Bruce away, and uh, now you kind of need him. You never know. Maybe, you know, I don't know. It's amazing how Granderson, I even myself, I started to look at his numbers for the year. He wasn't having that bad of a year. I know he's older. I know his defense stinks. Um, but he's a good leader. I mean, maybe you even think about that for on a one-year deal. I don't know. Exactly. The next thing I was getting to was, play center so if you have that question with Conforto and you're kind of questioning what you're going to get out of Lagares and Nimmo in center then I think I think right now you really the Conforto thing as much as you think Bruce I think it really pushes you back to Granderson because Granderson can play center I it's it's again it's not a great center field but it's it's not a bad one either it's not as Drupal Cabrera at shortstop so I think if you can get Granderson to come back on a cheap one-year deal, I think that's the perfect type move to kind of shore up as insurance out there. Because I, um, I, I, don't, I don't see them going after a Lorenzo Cain. He's obviously the top guy on the market, um, and he's probably going to get a four- or five-year deal even at his age. I mean, he's he's not young for a center fielder. So, but I think he's the guy that's kind of going to get that big money. So I don't, I don't see the Mets giving Kane that type of money to be your center fielder. So then you start looking at guys who can play right and center, and Granderson's one of the better options in that scenario. So I think 
I think that's something that will definitely get talked about. I mean, it's obviously clubhouse, community, all that stuff ties in with Granderson, and that's a type of guy that they would need back next year, I think, if you can get him cheap. Will Gavin Shashini get any kind of shot to play second base and, and be an option? Um, again, you know, I know that you talked about defense. Neil Walker is probably the best free agent option out there on the market. I mean, get the Mets are going to need to get an impact bat. We just talked about the outfield. We know Moustakis in third base, and that ties into, you know, David Wright, who's trying to make a comeback, which I think is more window dressing and his last ditch. But, I mean, you go back, you have Rosario at short, who's probably going to be there. We talked about first. I don't think they're going to go and get a Hosmer or try to stunt any of the kids' growth. Second is open. Third is open. Moustakis is probably the best option. You've heard conflicting reports about whether he's a New York guy. Uh, certainly could hit and play defense. He'd be perfect. But, you know, you got Gavin Shashini here now in this whole thing. So, you know, that's where the next thing is, you know, what – you know what? What's the deal with second base? And is Cicini an ob- is is he an option? Is he a real legitimate option? I'm a Cicchini fan. Um, he's his defense has been solid at second. It's been much better than it was at shortstop. And I like that he gets on base. I like that he hits the ball to all fields. Um, I think I don't think that the Mets are that high on him. I mean they've. They've shown that, I think, with getting Cabrera games over him, Reyes games over him. In this type of season, you would think they would just plug him in at second base and just forget about him. Um, so, I mean, like, you go back to Neil Walker. He is he's the best option as a free agent next year to improve that spot. And if Neil Walker is healthy, Neil Walker has hit for the Mets. So that's an option. Um, another name that I was thinking about the other day is Howie Kendrick, veteran that can play second. He's been playing some outfield now, too, can play some third, can play some first. He's hit very well this year between the two teams, between Philly and the Nationals. So I think Kendrick is that type of guy that they'd be looking for because he has that versatility that the Mets like, too. So say Cicchini or Flores or Rivera, one of those three hit really well, then you can plug him in at second, and Kendrick can play some games in the outfield, he can play against some lefties at first. He can play some at third. So I think – I don't think unless they do get bring back Walker, I don't think there's going to be a set guy there at second um, or third for that matter. I think they're going to go more with a rotating group of guys with that have uh, versatility, Flores. I mean, if Flores keeps hitting righties, you have to find a way to get him in the lineup somehow. And he's – He's obviously much better at second base than he is at third base. Um, Cicchini and then Rivera, if he's healthy, he's another guy who's better at second. So you seemingly they have more options at second base than they do third base. Third base is really the bigger issue. Um, and with Wright, I know Wright's coming back and power to him. I'm glad that he's playing baseball right now. Um, I'm still, I don't think, Unless unless he comes up in September and just tears the cover off the ball and shows that he can play an adequate third base, I just there's no way you can. I just bank can't on him see him playing year. third. I mean, even no, if he I, hit, it's interesting. 
if he was in the American League, you'd at least be able to say, can the guy DH? Oh, yeah, for That's sure. I mean, even in 2015 and 2016 where he struggled defensively and looked awful out there, kind of like Zimmerman did when he was at third, he, he was still able to hit a little bit. He was still able to get on base a little bit. Um, so it kind of stinks. It would be a perfect spot for him if the Mets did have a DH because I think, I think he could still hit some. Um, but, no, it's it's tough to see that the Mets have the answer at third base, and it's tough to see where in the free agent market is the answer at third base because after you get past Moustakis, there isn't much. And I don't, I highly doubt that the Mets spend the money on Moustakis. And if you look at his numbers, he's having a career year going into free agency. So that's that's something to be a little weary of, too. Um, he's never been a high on base guy before this year, and his defense has actually gone down this year. So after him, you're looking at Todd Frazier, and that's an. Mm. Local guy, not a, but. Um, n- uh, not a very enticing option. As you can tell uh, from better your defensively, response. yes, better yes, defensively would, what they've had. And then the third option would be Eduardo Nunez, who um, he's, he hit very well for the Red Sox. He just left the game the other day um, for them, but he hit well for the Red Sox. But he's another he's another guy that will not walk at all. He's a high um, batting average guy and steals some bags, but he, he's not a great defender at third either. So. There's just the, there's not a whole lot of options at third base for next year, whether it's internal or external, unless Sandy um, gets into the trade market. That that might be his best option. We're rounding out here with Michael Mayer of Metsmerized Online. Um, John Heyman reported that Terry Collins will not be back. Uh, I think that's a good thing. I think we've, we've I think he's hit his his peak here if you want to call that. Uh, I think Dan Worthen certainly someone that should come to question. I don't think you could remove the manager again and keep the same pitching coach. I think the only one on the staff that you may uh, say, hey, Sandy puts on and, and makes the next regime inherit would be Kevin Long, because I think he seems to connect best with these guys and all these lefties that have come through and, and gotten better uh, all seem to, uh, to gravitate towards him. If you were Sandy Alderson, or maybe you're, you know, talking to scouts or people in baseball, is there an option of a manager that you think would be the perfect guy to come in? I think Viola would be a great pitching coach to come in. I mean, you talked about him earlier, but with the manager, you've heard names like Joe McEwing and Alex Cora, and I know Pedro Lopez is in Vegas and and, and talking to Russ Langer earlier this year. It seemed like at that point, back in June. Pedro was still learning a little bit of how to manage at a higher level. Uh, what does Michael Mayer do with the managerial situation? Or do you, if you had the druthers, bring Terry Collins and the whole crew back again? I think it's hard to do that, but certainly that's that hasn't been confirmed that he's gone. It's just been out there that he's probably gone. Yeah, I, w- I would, at this point, I would be shocked if he doesn't just retire. I think that's kind of the move that would make sense. Um, as far as what I want, uh I kind of try to lean away from that because I try to think like I think Sandy would. Um, and I I don't think Mets fans are going to like the names they hear. Uh, I mean, the top two that you're going to hear probably are Dick Scott and Bob Guerin, and I don't think that's going to get a ton of Mets fans excited. 
Um, if they if they stay in house, like the name you mentioned, Pedro Lopez, he's absolutely the guy I choose if they stay in house. Um, he's great with the players. Uh, seen him do well with the bullpen. Um, he just he knows the issues we've seen with Collins. A lot of the issues that we've complained about is his in game stuff and. I've seen I've seen a ton of Binghamton games, and that's something that I think Lopez would improve on from Collins. And I've heard nothing but good things from players about Lopez. Um, great in the clubhouse, great with the young players, great with just kind of those little issues and just kind of working with the player and getting through certain stuff and talking stuff out. So Lopez is really the guy that I would see. I see him as the most re- realistic option that I would like to see as the next Mets manager because, like I said, I do think it's more likely that you're going to see a Bob Guerin, a Dick Scott, um, a Tuffle, him even get an interview, that that type of area that you're going to see Alderson in the front office go into. You know, I, I do want to let you go, but I, I cannot let you go before I bring up the catching You've been talking up Plowicki, uh, who has looked so bad sometimes in prior years. Offensively, looked lost at times on, on the field last year. Thomas Nitto, I know, didn't have the season everyone thought in Double A. Uh, I can't figure Darnell out, man. To me, he looks like a career backup. That's that's to me. And he's a good kid and everything, and uh, I know the pitch framing, but I think they need a leader behind the plate too, someone that could help this pitching staff. I don't know if either of those guys, Nitto or Plowicki, are that. Again, not a lot out there unless you want to bring back Rene Rivera uh, after they traded into Chicago. What I mean, I got before I let you go. I got to get the idea on the catcher because I think it's such an important position, uh, especially from a leadership and from like you said, if you could take a, a chemistry set and put all these guys into a little box and come out with a catcher, you get a little bit of Darno, a little bit of Plowicki, maybe Rivera. It's like the old Mackie Sasser, Charlie O'Brien, uh, Rick Cerrone, uh, Barry Lyons thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, it's so tough because Darno looked good. Well, he looked. I, I I use the word good as as a whole as you look at the catching position in the major leagues right now because it's it's not very good. So I think Darno looked passable in the first half of the season. He was playing good defense. He was hitting for a little bit of power. On base isn't where you wanted it, but he was still hitting for power, so that made his offense passable behind the plate. Um, he's been brutal in the second half. Uh, the defense has still looked okay, but he, he's just not hitting. He's not hitting at all. So it's 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 tough to make him your starter when he it, you just can't. You have to get some sort of offense from catcher, and um, Pulwecki's looked good, and it's not just. Like I said on Twitter the other day, it's not just the numbers with Ploiecki. It's the swing. He's changed his stance a little bit. Um, it's looked like that's kind of helped him hit for a little more power. Um, he's hitting the ball with a little more authority. Um, I think he's looked better, and he's always, um, since he got to the upper echelons of the minor leagues, he's always been talked about as a good guy behind the plate, whether it's blocking um, framing, dealing with pitchers. That's always been a strong suit for Ploiecki. So I think that's something you could uh, kind of play on and hope that the offense 
keeps going the way it has right now, because he, he has looked better. And it's not like this is out of nowhere for, for Plawecki. It is at the major league level, but this is a guy that has hit in the minor leagues. Uh, sometimes right. it just takes longer for catchers to click in the major leagues. He was kind of rushed earlier in his career when he wasn't really major league ready and they kind of needed a backup. So maybe sure. this is just um, kind of the time where he's putting it together offensively. Obviously, we need to see more than a couple of weeks, but he's looked better offensively. The swings have looked better. Um, the going the other way has looked better. Uh, hitting ball, pulling balls with more authority. If if he continues to do that, it's tough not to see him as your catching option, starting catching option for next year, because he's he's still going to be uh, making peanuts next year. So that's that would be an area where they wouldn't have to spend, and then you can live with possibly Darno as the backup if you didn't want to go out and get a veteran because, like you said, that's another market that's not great. Um, Alex Avila is going to be one of the better guys on the market, but he's another guy having kind of a career year at 31, so how much do you buy into that? Um, Luke Roy's hit better in Colorado, but he's he's still been awful all year defensively. And do you want to buy into a couple of months of Colorado boosting what was a bad offense before that this year. So I think you kind of – it's a huge thing that you would hope Plowecki hits in September because if he can hit, he can be a starting catcher because of his defense behind the plate. Um, so that's, that would solve a huge issue for the Mets if he can continue to hit like he has. And I, for one, am hoping he does because that would uh, – that opens up where you can just kind of settle into that and maybe get a guy in a minor league deal and hope he fights out, um, fights it out with uh, Darno for the backup spot, because uh, that that really opens up some money for other areas that they desperately need. Yeah, sec- second youngest team in baseball. I was amazed when I heard that. So uh, interesting how you know the team that was in the World Series and, and going for a, a championship just two years ago. Uh, where they are now. Uh, w- one last thing. So do you feel there's enough here that at this time next year, I'm not saying the Mets will be preeminent favorites to come out of the National League, but we could be talking about some meaningful games uh, with the right moves. It sounds to me, talking to you, obviously you know, health and luck and things like that we can't predict. There's There's something here. This isn't a dumpster fire like some may make it out to be. No, yeah, I agree. Um, there's... I mean, there's obviously some spots that you need to improve. It, you got to get a starter, um, at least one starter, veteran starter who can give you some innings. Should have another bullpen guy in there, seventh, eighth inning guy. Um, you got to kind of get a guy who can either play third or second, and an outfielder. I'm, there's there's still enough talent here. The Conforto thing leaves you a little more question once we get a uh, complete gauge on when he's going to be back, but. It's not a dumpster fire. I don't think you can ever call anything a dumpster fire when you have Syndergaard and DeGrom at the top of the rotation. You have Familia, Ramos, Blevins at the back end. you still got Cespedes in left field who's been on fire in the second half. Um, and then you have Rosario at short who he slowed down to the bat, but he's still playing great defense. Um, I just, I, yeah, I don't think this is a complete rebuild as long as the Mets, kind of plug in some of these spots that will help. Um, I I think it's possible that they could be a playoff contender next year. I mean, 
without they would have to make a couple of big signings to make them a sure bet. But I think a couple of pieces here and there and some health, like you said, health-wise, especially with the pitching, This it, it's not a team that you're thinking that, oh, well, these guys are going to lose 100 games. I, I, I don't see that. I don't foresee that going into next season, assuming they um, add a couple of pieces. Yeah, I think they're better than what their record is if they were healthy this year, but that's a whole other show, and we can get into that. Hey, you've been very oh, yeah. generous with your time. Um, great stuff. Um, I think we really set up the off season and 2018 and, and obviously September will bring some more uh, things for us to chat about. I'm sure we'll chat before the uh, hot stove heats up. You enjoy your Sunday and uh, be well. And let's do this again, my friend already. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Mike. I enjoyed it. All right. Good stuff. Michael Mayer, the executive editor over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Good stuff. If you're not following Metsmerized Online and Michael Mayer, um, you're missing out on, on that whole thing. Good, good, good stuff. I really always um, enjoy talking to him because he does actually, yeah, is he a scout? Is he at every game? No, no, he's not. But I know he tries to not just look at numbers, but also get a feel about, you know, what people are saying about these players, you know, things like Alonzo not being in shape and so on and so forth. You're not going to get that just looking at numbers. So it's good stuff. At Mike Mayer, MMO on Twitter. Really, really uh, enjoyed uh, spending time with him here today. So that that's good stuff on that. Uh, all right, that's it. I think uh, you guys have pretty much uh, seen where, you know, this is going. And, uh, you know, we've had a pretty pretty extensive show. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back next week. Enjoy the doubleheader today. I don't know when you're checking this, uh, this show out, but uh, obviously we recorded this earlier today before the Mets doubleheader. And... Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll continue to try to bring you some unique content the rest of uh, 2017 as we play out the string here at the Talking Mets podcast, but not without putting some effort and time into it. I want to thank Michael Mayer again uh, for his time here today. Of course, I want to thank the good folks at MetsmerizedOnline.com for supporting the show. You can check me out at Mike Silver Media on Twitter anytime, and you get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your Sunday, and I'll see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.